This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Today, today I want to talk to you about having an unstoppable pursuit. Unstoppable um, pursuit. Uh, before we get into our text, if you'll allow me, I want to give a little bit of context about what we're about to read. Uh, we're looking at a king whose name was Saul. And uh, we're picking up where we find King Saul, and he's making a lot of wrong decisions. Um, he really is, is messing up. The Bible actually specifically uh, says that he, has, uh, he hasn't uh, followed God's commands. God has specifically told him to do some things, and King Saul has not followed them. So we find a man named Samuel, who at this time was God's prophet. And uh, he, he has come to let Saul know that God wasn't happy with him. As we read in the text, the Bible literally states that his kingdom will not endure. And what that means is everything Saul as a king has created, his thumbprint, all the things that, that marked his, his, his kingship and, and the, the impact that he's made on this kingdom, it's, it's not going to endure. That it'll be completely forgotten and wiped away. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty, pretty steep punishment. That's, that's, that's pretty discouraging to hear that, man, all the things that I worked all of my life to create because of some bad decisions, they're going to go away. And, and God specifically answers that question of, of why. Why do this and why now? And if you read in our text, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. I know that's just a sentence and a statement and a phrase, but I really tried my best for you today to dive into it. And there's two words in there that I really like that I think if we really get down to the root and meaning as to why those words are in that scripture, we can understand what really God is trying to communicate to us. And it's very simple. If you replace the word sought with desire, and you replace the word after with pursue, you'll really understand the context and what God is trying to communicate. It'll say the Lord desires a man that will pursue his heart. Acts chapter 13 says it this way. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now we see that God has removed Saul from his kingship and has appointed David. And God has come to discover a man after his own heart. The Bible has quite a bit to say about David. And if you know anything about David, David was awesome, but he also made a lot of mistakes. If, if, if you'll allow me, David is one that we can paint our own picture there. We can, we can see ourselves as David. Somebody that means well. Somebody that wants to do well. Do well for your home. Do well for your family, for your job and this life that we live. But all too, times, all too many times we find ourselves making mistakes along the way. And I think the thing that God loved about David specifically is even though, like Saul, he made a lot of mistakes. The difference between David and Saul was David was a man after his own heart. Bishop Ron alluded to it. I get a, a month away 
uh, from marrying the girl of my dreams. Yeah. Uh, I think the teens are more excited about it than me. And I'm pretty excited, but I think they like her more than me. I think they think they're prettier, which offends me. But I, I'm, not, I'm not too far removed, and I have quite a short uh, memory when it comes to this, um, of when I first moved out and got my own apartment. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. I got some roommates, uh, two guys from this church that I love uh, dearly. One of them's in this room, and uh, I won't name any names because I might embarrass them. Um, but uh, we were discovering life. Do you guys, do you, do you remember what it was like when you first started adulting, like you're really trying to discover what life is like. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, we went scouring to the city uh, on Craigslist looking for furniture, just a couch to sit on. Um, you know how it is, dishes uh, and dishware from Walmart for like $5 a piece. Like you're just trying to make it work, right? Uh, cooking and then figuring out cooking doesn't go well, and so Papa John's just makes an entire profit off of you for like a year and a half. And there's one thing that I'm embarrassed to say. I'm sure my mother's in the room and she's probably going to be embarrassed for me to say this, but I, I never really understood how to work a dishwasher. And I come to find out, Mario's laughing. I come to find out he knows what's coming. Come to find out that neither did either of my roommates. And so we finally get through all of our $5 Walmart dishes. We've gone through like, a week and a half worth of meal. There's just dishes piled everywhere. Nobody wants to wash them. It's a bunch of guys. Let's be honest. We got a dishwasher. Just put it in the dishwasher. Well, there was dish soap on the sink. I didn't even say anything. Let me finish. Can I get to where I'm going? So we look down at the door, and there's a little cup there that says soap. Frankie looks at me, and I look at Frankie, and he's like, Filled that whole cup. Took about a quart. Started up the dishwasher, went to watch a movie. And came back, and Josh, if you'll help me, this is what we found. And that is about our expression the whole night. Just Suds everywhere. I mean, you can't really see it in that picture, but the water went all the way to the living room. is right around the corner of the... Um, uh, countertop there, but carpet is soaked. Needless to say, we didn't get the deposit back. <laughs> I would have liked the deposit back. Uh, but you guys know what I'm talking about when you try to like find your own vision, your own way. You're discovering life on your own without anybody's help, let alone God's. And you find yourself like Frankie in this picture, just, well, here it is. Here's, here's my life, and you even look at God, God, and then I think this is the thing about David that God loves so much. Even though David made his mistakes, he went to God with a floor full of soap and suds. I messed up, but you're the one that I'm going to run to when I do. I'm going to pursue you regardless of my decisions, and I think, I think that's what God loves about us. Through all of his mistakes, all of his imperfection, God saw David in this unstoppable pursuit. 
Isaiah chapter 40 says it this way. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and, and keeps them close to his heart. I love it. Even when we go our own way, he figures out a way to pull us in. Like a shepherd to a lamb, always bringing them close back to his own heart. The real reason that God is so interested in an unstoppable pursuit after his heart from you is actually fairly simple. It's because God is already pursuing you. God's greatest desire, and I'm going to be bold enough to say that his greatest desire is to be close to you. Over everything else that he has has or has done or will ever do, the greatest desire God has ever had and will ever have is to be close to you. He wants to be like a father to you, as close as a father is to a child. And I know for some that may be a difficult concept to grasp with. Maybe your father wasn't around or maybe you don't have a great example of a father in your home or had a great example of a father in your home. Maybe there was abandonment. Abuse, psychological, physical, emotional. Or, or maybe you're like some where you, you see this, 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 you know, distorted image of who God is. This faceless big guy on a throne in the sky. Holding a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake. Your other mistake. And oftentimes we, we miss the whole purpose of this whole thing that God has created called life. And that is an unstoppable, continuous, passionate pursuit to be close to you. I mean, there's a verse in the Bible that our whole faith, our whole Christian faith is founded upon. Many of you know it, you've heard it before. Some may not. But if you don't, this right here sums up in one sentence what we believe and what is so vital and important. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I realize that I often read this statement differently than what it was meant to portray. This is, this is what I've read this statement before. For the world so loved God that he gave his only son. But that's not what it reads. That's not the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's the thing that I love about this verse. God said, for God so Love the world. Now, for you, you might be like, okay, so what do you mean? I'm a student pastor, so so only comes second to like in student ministry. You know what I mean? Yeah, they know what I'm talking about. And what it is, it's a student's attempt to really convey what I really mean. Like, it's this thing is like so, like, important, unlike so, how I'm trying so. Hard to tell you. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I love you. God could have easily had this verse say, For God loved the world that he gave his only son. But he wanted you to know he so loved the world. We can replace that word so with pursued. Because it was more than just I love you. No, I want to love you. I so love you. I am so close to you. It's my desire. It's, it's, it's what I desire. I so want to pursue you and love you. 
I mean, even just the word world means bad system and bad people. You know what I mean? And he loves me so much to the point he is pursuing ways to show me and be with me. And that he even sent his son down to die for me. So if we, if we put this in the MIV, the Manny International Version, and we make this, this scripture a little bit more plain, if you're like me and you need just a little help to understand it, let's, let's read John 3.16 differently. For God relentlessly pursued his love for me and bad people, that he entered skin and bone and died, and listened to this craziness, he did it for whoever. That's crazy. And if you, don't want, if you don't know why, then you haven't stepped out a minute in our world. Because things aren't free, especially love. Sometimes I look up at God and I say, God, you, I mean, I really want everybody to know you. And I want everybody to be saved. And I know there's a very slim chance of that. But do you really think this whole situation you got, I mean, it's awesome that you're doing it. But it's, is it really fair to you? God is it really fair to you they may never acknowledge who you are or what you've done for for them but no God says it's for whoever whenever however he wants to love you God loves bad people and excuse the improper grammar but I feel like if I say it this way you'll understand it better God loves us bad people God pursues bad people, even bad people who stay bad. God loves them too. You can acknowledge the love that the Father has for you. You can choose to ignore it regardless. The unstoppable pursuit of love remains. It doesn't go away. Man, I've been so busy obsessing over, over my performance and my deeds and, and my efforts. Today I want to I challenge you with, with a very important question. Did I get this thing out of order? Should I understand like the passage state in 1 John chapter 4, 19, God first loved me and will always and continue to love me and then I choose to love him and respond accordingly to my performance, deed, and efforts. And this right here is the focal point of our time together this morning. This is the thing that I want to focus on. God is passionately already and is currently right now pursuing us And in a response, we want to pursue God in our lives with an unstoppable passion to pursue his heart. In John 3, 16, I believe in this scripture, there are three characteristics that really give us a peek into God's heart. Where we can understand what's really important to him, what really matters to him. And the first one, it's in your notes if you're following on the app. God's love is relentless. For God so loved the world. If if you've got a Bible and you write in your Bible like I do, circle, underline, highlight, underline three times the word so. It's important to remember that. Regardless of where you are or where you've been, God has a relentless love for you that is unstoppable and will always remain. So much so that he calls you his children. Like a father loves a son. 1 John says it this way, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called as children of God. I don't know about you. If you're anything like my parents, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I could have done or where I could have gone. My parents will always love me. 
And if you're a dad or a mom in the room, you can understand that. And God loves you the same way. Second thing that I've learned from this passage is God gives generously. That he gave his one and only son. I love this. Anytime that we give generosity, anytime there's generosity is always associated with cost. There's always a cost to our generosity. And anytime there's a cost to something, it can always be associated with the value, right? Here's what I've realized. The cost of something always determines its value. And the value of something can only be determined by what price an individual is willing to pay. I hope you're hearing me this morning. God has placed such a high value on our lives, on your life. The type of value where he's willing to die for you and it seems so worth it. We all deal with it daily, this this sin issue, right? The thing that has always kept us from being close to, to really feeling close to God. And remember, that's God's greatest desire is to be close. So God was willing and did whatever it took to, to, to bridge the gap between the sin that was keeping us away and allow himself to be closer. In Matthew, it says this, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to ask to those who ask of him? God gives generously. He's given his life for you. And the third thing is God, God's heart is always searching. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what the final part of that verse, you know what it tells me? And what it should tell you? Is that you are not here by accident. It isn't some type of cosmic coincidence that you're here. We're all here for a specific reason. The reason we're here is God is searching for your heart, your neighbor's heart, your kid's heart, my heart. Matthew chapter 18 says it. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that has wandered off? In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing to leave any of the little ones that he's lost. That says is whoever you are, whatever you may be doing, God doesn't stop searching for you. He desires to live eternally in heaven with you, closer to him. Like we said before, this love is for whoever, for whenever, for however. God loves us. What I wanted to do is I wanted, I wanted to really recognize the verse in 1 John that says... We love God because he first loved me. And I wanted you to understand that the foundation of our pursuit to be closer to God starts with understanding that he started the pursuit to be closer to us. Let me ask you a question. You ever loved anybody that, you ever not loved anybody that loves you? It's kind of hard, huh? When you know without a shadow of a doubt somebody loves you, you may not like them sometimes, I get that. But it's hard not to love them. And here's the same thing. We got to understand that's got to be the foundation. If we're we're really wanting to live a life closer to God, if we really want to create this unstoppable pursuit in our lives towards God, we have to understand that he started his pursuit in us. And that he's a God of these three characteristics. But it doesn't stop there. Now we respond. 
Now we respond back, like the verse said, because he loved me, now I'm going to love him back. I'm going to pursue God back. I chose a passage in Luke chapter 10. You may know the story. It's Mary and Martha. And I think this illustrates so beautifully the point that I'm trying to make. And if you'll read it with me, it's Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had made. She came to him and asked the Lord, don't you care that my sister left to do the work myself? She sounds like my sister. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. And I love this. You are worried and upset about many things. If you got a pen or paper, you, you, you highlight, highlight this next part. But only one thing is needed. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. What I'm reading here is the pursuit of God's heart begins at his feet. We find Mary at Jesus' feet while we find Martha elsewhere. In a worship service like today, with beautiful worship, it's, it's a great time where we can discover new things about God together, maybe even experience Him for the first time. But I'm a firm believer that there are moments outside of this room where you can really draw near to God, and that's at His feet. I chose this Mary and, and Martha story specifically because I believe it reveals to us three things that, that really can help us live in an unstoppable pursuit towards God. Three steps of life at God's feet. Desiring a closeness to be with Him. And the first one is listen to God's voice. Listen to God's voice. In the passage, uh, that was Mary's intent. She sat at God's feet and listened to His voice. John 10 says, when he has bought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, his voice being God's. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So how do we listen to God's voice? What what does that look like practically? To be honest with you, I can count on maybe two fingers the amount of times I really felt like I, I listened to God's audible voice. But if you commit to this Christian thing long enough, you'll you'll come to find out that God has a funny way of speaking to you in even just the stillest, smallest whisper. There's different things that it can use. One of my favorites is right here, this book, the scripture. I love this book. It's the Bible and it's alive. It's a living word. It's a word that lasted for yesterday, that still lasts today and will always last. The words on these pages, they have like a supernatural power that just jump out. They get right inside your heart. And they figure out a way to change you from the inside out. What this Bible is, is it is God's love letter to you. Another thing that I think helps us really listen for God's voice is worship. Well, worship when taken seriously. What worship is, is it's, it's magnifying God, and if you look at the definition of magnify, it's to make bigger. 
And what happens when you worship and you magnify God, you make everything else around you smaller and you make God bigger, making it easier to hear his voice. I think we allow life to clutter us so much. We're busy with jobs, work, school, things take up our ear, take up our attention. And we never really get to a place in worship where we're magnifying God to where his voice is louder in our life. Worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday with beautiful music. I want to encourage you, maybe change the dial every now and then. While you're cooking or cleaning or doing the lawn, I, I like to put headphones in. Create an atmosphere where your mind is fixed, magnified on who God is, and everything else is drowned out so that you can hear, maybe at the workplace. We wonder, well, God's not in my life. We don't hear him. Are we really creating an atmosphere where we're listening? Or is our ear turned to other things? Prayer. Prayer is a fun one for me as a student pastor. Um, prayer is one of those things that's often shied away from. And I think it's because it's not that there's a lack of a desire to pray, but there's like intimidation. Like I got to like speak an old English language and make like a whole declarative speech to God. Like, and thou shalt know God that thou I love you. You know what I mean? And I think we, we find this intimidation when it comes to prayer, but really prayer is, is a conversation. It's, it's really desiring, let, let the things that, that burden you, let them be known to me. Let, me. let me carry that for you. That's what the Bible says. There's a real conversation desired to be held in prayer. And here's something that I've learned, especially in our 21 days of prayer. If you haven't been a part, it has been amazing. And a huge thank you for all the people that have led uh, some of our nights. But it's powerful. And one thing that I'm learning as I get older and I'm, I'm focusing on my walk with God, is that prayer is sometimes great when you're not doing the talking. You don't always have to be talking. Make room to listen. Make room to listen. And the last one is relationships. Relationships. I, can, I, I can't count how many times I've allowed somebody to speak into my life that I know loves God. And God has used those people to even direct my path in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise directed if I didn't listen to them. God has a funny way. And if you read this Bible long enough, you'll know that that's God's main way of communication is through relationships. There are countless stories right here in this book that prove God uses people to talk to us. Bishop Ron alluded to it earlier. It's in your worship, guys. But if you're not a part of a small group, we don't do this because we think it's a great program. We believe in it. It's biblical. There's a saying that's been going around a lot here. Life moves at the speed of relationship. A Bishop Ronism. Relationship is important. That's, that's creating another avenue to hear God's voice. If you're, if you're not connected with like-minded people, I encourage you to do so. Serve God by serving each other. I don't know about you, but there, there are times where I'm going through something and maybe I've done it innocently just to get my mind off of things, but there's something weird, it's supernatural. I think it's God designed when 
instead of pouting about the mess that we're in, we go find somebody with a greater need than mine and we serve them. There's a joy and a peace to be found in that. I mean, there's a passage that I love. John, 3, uh, John 13. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped towel around his waist. After that, he poured into a basin and began to wash disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Jesus served the people who were serving him. I mean, I don't know how much more clear I can get for you. You were designed, and Jesus himself, God himself, wanted to model that for you. There's something supernatural about serving other people. Do so. And last, and I think this is the hardest one for us to do often, as we close. Choose daily to surrender your life to God. You got to understand something. This is really important. The other two won't work if you don't get this one right. This is the foundation. You won't be able to, to really, really listen to God's voice or serve each other correctly without really getting to a place where you're surrendering your life daily. In our story, we find that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet as Martha is busy doing things. She's doing things. Jesus is quick to point out to Martha that Mary has chosen better. You underlined it, remember. Only one thing was needed, and Mary has chosen better. See, God wants to be close to us. And the contrast that we see between Mary and Martha is one thing. Just the simple desire just to be close to God. For a lot of people, I think we're like Martha. Getting the dishes done, trying to get the laundry, get the toys in the closet before Jesus sees. My house has got to be in order. God's here. i got to make everything right. It's all about what I do. I don't know how else to make it more clear. And I think Jesus is pretty blunt. I don't think you can get into a theological debate about this. Not when it comes from God's mouth himself. No, the most important thing, Martha, I don't care about your house. I care about you. And Mary is here. She's at my feet. She's listening to me. She's close to my heart. That's her her desire. Not to puff my chest out, wear my best suit. Not to have my life in order and know everything that there is to know about what is good and what is bad. Pharisees did it. That get them. Jesus' one desire, the one mission, the one goal, the purpose for everything we see and that's ever been created is to be close with you and for you to desire a closeness to him. That can only happen in our lives if we're really willing to commit to an unstoppable pursuit. If we can recognize that God loves you relentlessly. That God has given to you generously his life, literally for you. And his heart is always searching, no matter where you are, where you've been. He loves you. He pursues you. Together, let's let's pursue him. Amen? Will you stand with me? I want to make a a two-part prayer before we close today, if you'll allow me. Be sensitive to understanding that not everybody is where we are in our walk. I know for some of you, you've been around forever. And some of you, this may be your first Sunday to ever come here. And and to that, I want to say welcome. Your family here. 
home here. We love you here. God loves you anywhere. And so if, that, if that's you today, I, I want you to know that the God is close to you and he's searching for you even right now. He desires for you to love and search for him too. And for those of you, maybe this is a great reminder. You've been around for a while. This Christian thing isn't new. This is a great reminder that, man, we got to slow down. Quit trying to paint this perfect canvas of your life. Trying to know all the details and cross every T and dot every I. It's not what God's heart is about. You read this, really read this without your own opinion, without your own preconceived notion, and really read the life that is poured from this book. God loves you. Let's make that prayer today. Father, we thank you so much for those that have may have walked in and they don't know you, God. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know that you're available to them, God, and that you're pursuing them passionately, Father. You're so wonderful that you did this crazy, amazing thing and died on the cross just because you love me. I don't know what I could have done. I don't know what I could have done right, but I know I probably done a lot of things wrong, but regardless, God, you love me and you've chosen me. God, I've been in this Christian thing for a while, Father, but I've, I've steered away and I've, I've really lost that, that passion to pursue you, Father. I, I want to pursue you again. Lord, all across this room, I just, I pray for each individual, God, that they really commit to a life to be unstoppable in their pursuit of your heart so thankful for who you are. So thankful for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, the church says, amen. Amen. All right, it's tradition. I did it first service, I'll do it second service. Your ticket to dismissal. Hug three people, tell them you love them. Tell them God loves them more. And have a great Sunday. God bless you.